0: This is episode number 58, Social Consciousness with Margot Curry. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about plant-based nutrition, mindset, and inspiring stories to help you live a high-performance life. And I'm your host, Sonia. How's it going, you guys? Are your days off to a good start? Mine sure is. I'm so stoked that it is officially summer. It's my favorite season of the year and I love how everything is alive and blooming and you can get food at farmer's markets. That's one of my favorite parts about summer and the mountain biking, of course.
1: With us, it's become our lifestyle, our company. We live and breathe and eat and everything what we're doing. It's no longer just about the deodorant anymore. It's about the social missions and the, the impact we're making in the world. We're saving lives through water and we're every single month we have a day dedicated to animals. So we donate 100% of our sales to animals.
0: Today's episode is a really fascinating woman named Margot Khoury, and she is the founder and CEO of one of the most popular organic, natural, cruelty-free deodorants, the best deodorant in the world. And it actually works. Like a lot of people have reservations around natural or organic deodorants, and I used to be one of them, but I actually have tried this deodorant and my husband has tried it as well. And this deodorant actually works and it's amazing. And she actually started it out of her kitchen. And it's an interesting point to make about entrepreneurship, it isn't always this glamorous thing. A lot of times there's a problem out there that someone wants to solve and they just start working towards that, a problem to solve for themselves that makes it, things better in their life. So if you're trying to start a business and you're just trying to think of something to do, think of a problem you can solve in your own life just like Margot did and it doesn't have to be done in this fancy place. You can start it in your very own kitchen. So after getting to know Margot and her company, I learned that its mission isn't just to keep you from being stinky. There's so much more to her business. First, making an environmental impact through using responsible ingredients. They don't even use plastic with their packaging or in their shipping containers is super important. Second, they donate to water.org. And for each jar of deodorant sold, it provides one year of clean drinking water for a child. I learned that 4,000 kids die every day from lack of water, which is insane. And third, on the first day of every month, they donate 100% of sales to their animal advocacy partners. It's inspiring to see the impact they're having in the world. They're not just selling a product. They are making a big difference in a lot of different ways. We talked about a number of things today, including why she started focusing on her health and the environment, places she and her family have lived around the world, what unschooling her children means, how she balances the hustle of being a CEO and having three kids, the importance of conscious capitalism, and what it means to be a vegan. Margot is awesome because she's non-judgmental and really easy to talk to, and I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with her. Before we get into it, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. It's so awesome to have this great audience, to have you guys listening, to see the changes you're making in the world, in your health, in your life and the message you send me mean the world to me. I can't tell you enough, so thank you very much. If you wanna support the show and you wanna help it grow and maybe help your friends get on the path that you're on, share it, share it over email, take a screenshot, put it in your Instagram stories. Getting the word out is the best way, word of mouth is the best way to share the show. If you haven't hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, make sure you do that. This podcast is also available on Spotify and we love reviews. If you wanna leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, just open up the app. It takes two seconds and it really means a lot and it really helps out the show. I also wanna invite you on the ultimate mountain bike vacation with me. It's gonna be in Bend, Oregon, October 4th through the 7th called the Sonia Looney Experience and I've teamed up with Cog Wild. They are an amazing company based in Bend, Oregon and they lead groups all over the state. And we're gonna have three different groups on a daily basis so you can seed yourself based on your ability level. You can even be a beginner and there's gonna be the option to rent bikes if traveling with your bike is too big of a deal. And also, all you have to do is show up, it's hassle-free. It's gonna be awesome, like hotel is included, food is included, yoga is included. I'm gonna be doing some workshops, we're gonna do a live podcast, there's gonna be a brewery tour. It's gonna be an amazing three days and I think that we're gonna just have the best time ever. So if you wanna sign up for that, go to sonyalooney.com retreats and I look forward to seeing you and meeting you in person and riding together in October. And if you're driving there, our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. KuatRacks.com has everything you need to get your bike to Oregon safely or anywhere else you wanna go. They make roof mounts, they make hitch mounts, and I have had really great experience using their racks. And they're cool because they are a US-based company out of Missouri. So check them out at KuatRacks.com. So let's get into the show with the best deodorant in the world and CEO, Margaret Corey. How's it going, Margo? Hey, Sonya, It's going well. <laughs> so there's a funny mutual connection that we have that after talking with your husband, I learned and that that's that we're both Lebanese.
1: No, he didn't tell me.
0: Yeah. So I had actually looked at your last name, Kouri, and I knew that that was a Lebanese last name because my mom is from Lebanon and I had a friend with that last name growing up and my mom was like, is,
1: are they Lebanese? That is awesome. Our family's from Lebanon, too. We have so much to talk about. (laughs) I know.
0: So like what generation, when did your family come over?
1: My family came, my mom actually, well, my, my dad came first, his family, and then he went back to Lebanon, then my mom, and then they came back and we're just, I'm sort of, I guess that's first generation here, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I was born and raised here in Canada, but I love Lebanon. Have you been to Lebanon? I
0: haven't been. And like well, my mom moved to the United States when she was 13 and hasn't been back. And I just really want to go with her and visit the yeah. visit where she's from.
1: Oh, you should. It's incredible. Like meeting the cousins and meeting everyone there is like out of this world. It really you know, I say I have two homes, but it's so hard to live there. You know, being born here, it's a really difficult country to live in right now, but just it's my heart's there too. So it's so
0: cool. I want
1: to lots to talk about. Uh,
0: Yeah. So you've actually lived (laughs) all over the world.
1: Yes, we have. I'm really happy to talk about it. We actually, my husband and I, when we met, we met in high school and we just like fell in love over traveling. Really. We went to France two weeks into when we met and, um, France was an awesome experience. We attended the Cannes Film Festival so because we also share theater and, and film in common. So we met all these cool people. We went, we actually attended the Cannes Film Festival with people who were there. It was so cool. And then from then, we went to Paris. I lived in Paris for a year, uh, over a year before that. I, was, I studied in Paris wow. and studied in Spain as well. So I love Europe. And then when my husband and I met, we just kept traveling. I also taught in Japan.
0: Oh, wow. Which I just got cute. back from there.
1: Oh, you did? Yeah, like last um, week. <laughs> were you just traveling?
0: No, I was there for a race. In the, it was in the oh. Nagano prefecture, but I also got to go to Tokyo.
1: Oh, yeah. It's incredible. So I lived in uh, Kumamoto, which is on Kyushu. But Nagano is incredible. Yeah, that's so cool. Did you love it?
0: I did, <laughs> but I thought it would be really hard to live there if you didn't speak Japanese. So like, how did you overcome the language barrier? Maybe you already spoke Japanese.
1: I did not speak Japanese. I learned it while I was there though. So I, I became really fluent, but it's been so long. It's been years. Wow. So yeah. So yeah, yeah I was like, able to communicate.
0: Like this lifestyle <laughs> you've had takes a lot of courage to just be able to change directions, go into the unknown. And yeah. like how have you been able to do that in your life? And there's a lot of other things you've done too that have required that kind of skill set and mental toughness to do that.
1: I love that question because I really feel it's about my support system. I mean, the, the biggest traveling yes it's you know i went to japan alone taught there went to uh i did the france thing and all of that but really what is the most challenging and what i really feel my vegan family has a lot in common is just keeping each other really strong because as you know it's one thing to be plant-based vegan sort of in north america it's a whole other thing when you're traveling airports and what to pack and what to eat and finding restaurants and it's really tough so i i hats off to anyone out there listening who has has done this you know for whatever reason, health, animals, whatever, it's challenging. Yeah. And like, did you live in Central America? Was it Costa Rica or somewhere like that? So after we had started having children, which was five years into our marriage, we started, we thought, you know what, why not get the family used to traveling? My daughter was a year old when we went to Costa Rica and lived there. We first actually moved to Mexico and Hmm. discovered that uh, it wasn't necessarily for our family. We love it to to travel, not necessarily to live in. And then we moved to Costa Rica and loved it.
0: Wow. It's so cool that you've been able to have all those great life experiences. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And wonderful. And your husband, he loves traveling as much as you.
1: Definitely. Josh is incredible. And, uh, yeah, we have that passion together and he's, you know, we work together too. It's for all the couples out there who know how it is like to sort of live together, travel together and work together. Like I'm, you know, we're so we're on the executive team of our company together. You know, it's definitely a skill builder or it's what do you call it? It's, It's such a challenge that we needed to make it work and we did it.
0: What are some of the tips you can give our listeners on how to work as a couple, whether it be just like managing your household or even working in business together? Like what are some tips you can give? (laughs)
1: One of the major main tips I can give that's been asked before, and it's basically knowing your roles in the company. And it sounds sort of like, not necessarily in the household. We have many roles. He's with the children. I'm at work. I'm at work. He's with the children. We don't, we're also unschooling our family, which is not common, not typical out here, which just simply means we're homeschooling without a curriculum and our children are thriving as a result, but uh, it's challenging work-wise, professionally. I know... My strengths in the company, and he knows his, and we just sort of stay out of each other's way. We don't really tell each other what to do anymore or anything like that, and, and it works.
0: And, like, how do you keep work at work and keep it from coming into your personal lives?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very hard as entrepreneurs. It's much easier if you have a job where you're working nine to five and you come home and that's it, you just put your feet up and relax. Whereas with us, it's sort of a, become our lifestyle, our company we live and breathe and eat and everything what we're doing. It's no longer just about the deodorant anymore. It's about the social missions and the, 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 the impact we're making in the world. We're saving lives through water and we're every single month, we have a day dedicated to animals. So we donate 100% of our sales, Sonia, to animals. And we're also a very active company. We're activists. So we attend petitions, silent petitions when we can. We're part of the uh, animal anonymous for the Voice voiceless here in our province. You know, things like that. So I guess a roundabout way to answer, we really don't separate it per se. Our children are very involved and so is our company. We want more companies to stand up for causes they believe in.
0: That's so cool. And yeah, I think it's really hard whenever you start making more money as a company because there's pressures to do things a certain way and it's hard to maintain integrity it seems for for other businesses. So like yeah. how are you guys like how do you stay true to yourself whenever there's the distraction of money?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We believe that with more money you can do more. So what we're actually trying and that's a great question. The distraction is there. It's not we're not really The goal isn't money. The goal is what we can do with the money that we're creating. And so I want more uh, for-profit companies to hear this message. If you have a for-profit company and you're attaching a non-profit to it or a mission or something that you're giving, like profit-wise, I don't like the word giving back because we've never really taken anything. So it's sort of just donating and giving back, giving. But I encourage all companies like ours to think about a social mission or a nonprofit that they can help through the company and what's really really cool is you can do so much more doing it through a for-profit company than just a nonprofit because nonprofits are always asking for donations and and mm. things like that and it's so tedious to fundraise all the time and donate here and donate there where it could be buy this deodorant this jar saves lives for every deodorant purchase or for every product purchase of your company you could donate a portion of that back to the charity that you love so a roundabout way to say it's it's not about the money, but it is. We're entrepreneurs in the end, and we have to, you know, you have to survive as a company owner to be able to do good in the world. To answer your question, it's hard to, it's really, yeah, when you start making more money and more challenging than that, Sonia, is that more work comes with that, right? Mm-hmm. People don't realize when you scale a company and you're bringing in more, it gets bigger and then there's more to manage. So my biggest advice or thing that I would love to tell people that I've learned a little bit late is that delegate, you know, like make sure that you have an amazing team in place that we're we're starting to have this great team of people that can do things for us so we can sort of do the high level stuff in the company.
0: Yeah, and I I think that having a strong sense of purpose, which you guys have, really helps whenever things start getting muddy. And you always can come back to what is the purpose of what we're doing. And when you have a team, it also helps the team realize this is the bigger picture of what we're doing. It's not just about selling more of X product. It's selling yeah. more of X product so it can support this cause.
1: Yeah, the, at the end of the day, it's what it is. Our um, there's a book out there called Evolved Enterprise, and what it talks about is companies like ours, companies like you've heard of Patagonia. Mm-hmm. So Patagonia, Tom's shoes. They, you know, you buy a shoe, they donate a shoe. Bombas socks, same deal. It like this is sort of the way of the future, the bonus about doing the bonus of companies like us doing it is we become more popular in the process, and we're able to help more people. So it's sort of like a really gorgeous r- circle of growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah. And, the, and after a little bit, I want to get into the, the charity that you guys work with. But I want to go back and talk about the change to a plant based and vegan lifestyle. Like when did that happen for you?
1: that happened, that started to happen like 10 years ago, I've been back and forth since within four years of that, I guess 10 years ago, I started, you know, on the path to better health, I learned about eating more plants. And you know, we grew up eating a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and then watching some amazing YouTube videos, you really can't unsee what you've already seen. And so that started and then you go back and forth because of travel. But literally six years ago, I made the decision when I was pregnant with my son to mm-hmm. not Do the meat and the dairy anymore? And as a result, and I did it right. I did it without packaging, without chemicals, without the color preservatives. So we do it in a really healthy way. And as a result, I've been able to have three incredible vegan pregnancies. And nutritionally, I get my blood work done. And nutritionally speaking, my it's incredible. Like my doctors have been like, "How are you doing this?" And it's not just me. I follow these incredible. So I'm not this pioneer, you know, person doing this. It's like I follow other leaders. in the vegan world who have done the same thing. So, it's pretty cool.
0: And what like were you worried because you said I'm going to do this like 100% all in whole foods plant-based, no processed foods, no chemicals, nothing when you're pregnant and you, mm-hmm. like were you nervous about what would happen to the baby or yourself in this process?
1: not after I got educated, when I first sort of made the decision, I was worried people really don't understand they actually said to me in not so many words in their own words, they said to me that I was abusing my children, my babies, like I, I how could I be doing this? It's abuse. Whereas I look at it the other way around, I see that, you know, feeding children, the chemicals and the meat and what's in the meat and what's in the dairy and the eggs, that to me is more abusive than doing it this way. When you get educated about the fact that, plants are where the nutrients are found that's where our meat gets it from the animals that we eat used to eat get their nutrients from plants so if we're going directly to the source which is plants we are good you know as long as we're maintaining our gut health which is allowing us to absorb the nutrients that we're eating that's the key so i ate a lot of ferments lots of ferments kimchi and sauerkraut and all this great stuff. And then I did take a probiotic. I took some supplements during my pregnancy. I don't take a lot today, but during pregnancy, I take the folate, which is extremely important. I take an extra B12. I take double up on B12 and vitamin D because it's important for bone health. I did take a little bit of calcium, not a lot. I just made sure to eat a lot of greens and, and really healthy foods. And I was great. I had some blood work done and my B12 levels were actually a little bit too high, It was like, it was really high. So I stopped <laughs> that supplement. And even, uh, we failed to realize, recognize that even people who eat meat still have very low levels of B12 sometimes. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. all that I took the right supplements and I made it work. Yeah. And
0: calcium as well. Like people and, and iron, like there's lots of anemic people who eat meat, but, yeah, something interesting that I learned was that the baby's microbiome is greatly affected by the mother's diet. It's totally. not just, like, strengthening the baby, but it's, like, what the baby, when the baby's breastfeeding, like, what it's eating is, is helping build its microbiome. And guess what? Like, if the mom is eating things that are unhealthy, causing all these issues, like, food allergies and, like, even autism, like, these things can be prevented with a plant-based diet.
1: That's so incredible when you start learning about it isn't it like the education side of it really an educated person these days if you're reading up on it and you're educating yourself there's absolutely no fear the baby's microbiome everything it it depends everything all of it depends on what you are eating and um you mentioned breastfeeding definitely like i you know i look at some this isn't at all a judgment on formula. There, there isn't a really healthy formula out there that's plant based as well. So I would say breastfeeding is key if we're looking at the microbiome of the baby in the future, and also um, how we birth too. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs>
0: and like, because now you have three, three little kids, and. Like, how are you going to manage their diet and your diet as a family as they get older? Because like this is this is a question that I hear a lot. It's like, well, I could feed my kids, you know, plant based at home, but how I don't want them to be an outcast at school or if they go to a birthday party or whatever. So like, how do you guys manage that?
1: Yeah, that's a cool question. Uh, we manage it like, like anything else day by day, we want to give our children ultimately autonomy over their choices. So the best thing that I can do as a mom, and the best thing that I encourage other moms and parents do is to just explain to them what they're eating, what they're putting into the body, the child doesn't want to hurt themselves. And, you know, innately, like, if we're going the animal route and talking compassionate, when our child's first born, they're born compassionate, they're born knowing that animals are their friends. Mm-hmm. So this is a whole other thing. It's like, you know, it's a weird concept now because the, the majority of people in our life, sure, they eat meat and they've been desensitized and they disassociate what that is on their plate. But children, when they see a little baby pig and they're like, wow, like, I don't want to eat that. That's kind of <laughs> nasty, you know, and it wanted to be my friend. They know that already. So that's been easy for us. My ch- my children have had dairy like in at my grandparents, at their grandparents' house. We're not, you know, they're eating it. We didn't want to be super stressful. Like I feel like the stress associated with what's on our plate is actually more hurtful and detrimental to our health than the actual food that we're eating. So it's okay to let go a little bit and not, you know, with the past, I guess, if my child had eggs, I'm not going to be like crazy about it and say, how dare you eat that? You know, it's not fair as long as we're educating them. Luckily, like, I mean, my oldest son has never had meat or dairy or anything like that. He's super strong, super healthy and wonderful. And our daughter has had a little bit, but not anymore. She makes her own choices at four and a half, I guess. But, um, you know, they're always looking to us too to see like our reaction. And and I just don't want their life to be stressful either, as long as we educate them on their choices.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting dissociation that we have with meat because a lot of people ultimately think that you need meat to survive, period. So then there becomes this dissociation with, killing and eating animals. And even like if you're at a grocery store or something, they'll have a picture of a pig, like where the pig based meat is found. And there's still that dissociation that like, this is like a pig, like a being that's smart and has emotions and a personality. And, I mean, I have had that dissociation myself. It's like, well, yeah, it's a cow. So what cow, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. a curious question as to when in our lives do does this start happening where we're like, oh, well, like, who cares? I'm just going to eat this. Even though like the, you take the kids to the farm, like the petting zoo or like whatever, and they're holding chickens and petting goats and all these things, there comes a point where that doesn't, that, that just kind of gets lost in translation somewhere. And it, yeah. it's, just, it's just weird. Like, I wish that I understood that more, like the psychology of that more, because I've personally come from that.
1: Me too. It's I wish I understood it more as well. And we're starting to. And like I said, I believe every being is born compassionate, and understanding that we don't, why inflict pain when you don't have to, but it's really the taste buds. Once we're used to that taste, which meat is to taste good, Sonia, you know, that meat, we need to flavor it and put like pepper on it and like do all this stuff our burgers need all this you know ketchup and mayo and whatever it's not the actual meat we're associating tasty with it's everything that we do to it Mm -hmm. so you know if we really think about it to kill something in the wild and eat it it's not very it's not it's gross like it's not good it's not tasty right and so it's not the meat that we're actually craving I mean it might be the all of that but our I don't know it's a really really weird concept like you said
0: and did you write something called The Ultimate Guide to Organic Groceries? Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. That's a book that I wrote with uh, my incredible co-author, Joanne. She's a raw food chef. She's been working for years. She's also incredible because she gets, she certifies people in, in raw chef and she's, uh, you know, she's had quite a few celebrities uh, that she's cooked for or done, you know, prepared meals for. And so she's uh, incredible. And I love that topic of organic food and local food. And, and it's really, that's the book. It's teaching, kind of showing people how to go into a grocery store and doing that. And we'll be, um, we'll be promoting that more at the end of the summer. I'm just getting the final edits on it. And then we have a a book agent finally, and then, you know, publishing after that. So, and Dr. Joel Kahn wrote the foreword.
0: Oh, cool. Like what are three or five foods that people should always buy organic? Cause you go to the store and like, sometimes you're like, well, like the Mm. avocado has skin. So I'll just buy like the non-organic avocado or like, yeah, so like what are three or five things that you think people could make a change today um, in their grocery shopping?
1: So we always, we still go by that, environmental working group guide, which is the dirty dozen. We always kind of look to that because it's true. They do their research There's a lot of science there. And so usually strawberries, apples, the, 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 usually it's a fruit with a thin skin on it. I would say, um, it's a really tough thing because in the book, we talk about local versus organic. And if you had a choice, I would honestly choose local over... If you had to choose between organic and local, I would choose local. Interesting. Yeah, because it's less traveled, less packaging. Usually, a local farmer will not... It will be organic anyway, in our experience, but it's a tough choice sometimes organic travels an awful long way and the carbon footprint is not too great on that so
0: (laughs) yeah there's something really interesting about organic so i'm fortunate enough to live in the okanagan in british columbia and for those of you who aren't familiar it's a growing region there's farms everywhere and orchards and just really blessed to have that and like a lot of the farmers i've spoken with at the farmers market they won't be certified organic but they'll be spray free and like The process of becoming certified organic is a crazy process, which I can't remember the exact details, but it takes like a certain number of years of having no spray and not being close to any spray of any kind. So like while some of these farmers could just be spray free and actually using organic farming practices, they might actually not be labeled as organic.
1: You're right. Exactly. And it's expensive and all the other stuff. So yeah, there's so much to consider. I would say again, the stress around all that is like crazy. And there's, there's now talk of even organic farms because pesticides don't have a barrier. So even organic, there's cross contamination happening Mm -hmm. and all that. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you're choosing something, you choose plant-based, you choose fruit and vegetables, and then organic when you can and support local pesticide free, hopefully. So there's all these topics and all these worry. And I would say, um, you know, grow your own is absolutely the best, which we're starting to do now with our garden. So
0: That's so cool. Yeah. So moving along in this natural lifestyle, like what are some of the other changes that you started making and implementing once you said, okay, I'm going to start changing my diet?
1: We started out with switching things to more known toxic chemical free, basically. So there are some known toxic chemicals out there that have actually been studied. We don't always rely on the science that we have, because some things haven't been studied. But what is common sense to us? Long time ago, we started switching things that had chemicals like cadmium, like our beds, for instance, had all these crazy fire retardants in it that we just eliminated. We've had natural Mm -hmm. beds now for eight years, okay? And like my migraine, like everything sort of disappeared. My haze, my migraine, I sleep better. It's all that The fumes coming out of our mattresses are a big one that no one really talks about. We spend like a long time sleeping, eight hours a day on the bed. So it's a really one that we really wanted to switch early. Then food, everything that goes into our body, we started switching to natural. And then uh, finally, the things that go on your skin, which brings us to why we created our company, which is deodorant.
0: I actually took this wellness course and we were talking about some of the things you put on your skin. And I'm sort of in the process of transitioning into more natural products. But the biggest no brainer for me was like, not using lotion anymore. Like you don't actually need lotion, like lotion's just made for the texture. So I just use like Mm -hmm. regular like almond oil, like don't put stuff on your skin that you wouldn't eat.
1: Well, that's just it. Like the singular oils, like almond oil, moringa oil, whatever things that you can get easily even coconut oil. But the reality is, is my skin actually started changing when I introduced the healthy fats, like the coconut products, whole coconut products and avocado, really great nuts. Like I actually felt my skin didn't need moisturizing when I started doing that Mm because it's helping your body from the inside out. So, and it's delicious and healthy. So help your skin, even like biotin and things like that are good for the hair and the eyelashes. My eyelashes started to grow like when I started eating these amazing fats and healthy food. Mm -hmm. It's really, really great. So you don't need, you know, I am a product company owner, I want Mm -hmm. people actually, to be honest, I'll talk about deodorant, your body odor depends on what you eat, basically, you know, and even people, because if you're eating a lot of processed meats and and cheeses, that actually creates a lot of, you know, it feeds on the bacteria there, right? And so Mm -hmm. it creates... Odor. But even garlic and onions can create odor. So if you're eating a lot of these foods, every body is different. That's a really great point. You know, it's the skin, hair, body odor, everything. Our bodies improve with the right kind of food.
0: Yeah. So something interesting also is that I've never been a big deodorant wearer, which sounds really funny because people will probably think I stink. But like a long time ago, I read about aluminum and deodorant and how that's so bad for you. And I used to wear it every day. And I was like, well, do I really even need to wear this? So like I stopped wearing deodorant. But then there would be like times of year where I noticed like, oh, like, gross, like my armpit stinks.
1: <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I started, so then I started doing more research into the, the more natural areas of deodorants. And I tried a bunch of different ones and like none of them actually worked. So then I just gave up again was like, well, I guess... I guess I just won't wear deodorant. (laughs) And then someone at um, my local health food store, Nature's Fair, said to try this other deodorant and that it actually worked. So I tried it and I was really skeptical and it did work, but it was like super, super expensive. And it just like was almost unaffordable and just ridiculous. It was like 30 something dollars. So I was like, I'm just going to go back. And then whenever I heard of your company, First Deodorant, the best deodorant in the world, which is like the best tagline ever, I was really excited to learn about it. So like, I want everybody else to know, I want to hear about like the inception of the idea and like how you formulated this because a lot of the natural deodorants don't actually work and yours does. So I want to hear about this.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, when we started, it wasn't like this. We just throwing, for us, it was our personal use. We threw some ingredients together that we knew neutralize odor, which is the baking soda. We had some coconut oil in there. It was what you find on store shelves, the one that you were using and all that, is usually these usual suspect ingredients, right? The, Mm -hmm. The ones that actually neutralize odor and help with sweat. Whereas, you know, two years ago when we pulled our product off the shelf, we wanted to be actually the best. We wanted to be based on science and we wanted to formulate it properly. So I actually hired a natural product formulator. She and I worked together for six months formulating what it is today, which is the exact precise amount of each ingredient mixed together at the right temperature. Each one has to be poured at a different temperature in order to maintain the integrity of the product and be effective. So that's what makes it sort of unique. And it's incredible. I mean, every ingredient matters, including like the bergamot oil, which is an antiseptic and works really well for different body types. So we really, really thought it through. But even more than that, we're not encased in plastic, which is toxic in and of itself. If a product Mm -hmm. is hot poured, right? Like you have this beautiful product, amazing. You can eat it. It's so safe. And then you pour it in plastic. It doesn't make sense. So we thought about that too. And the packaging is not glass or plastic. So.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. And mm-hmm. I also noticed that on the, um, like on the packaging, it said you can eat it. And then I was tempted <laughs> to try eating it just to see, but I, I didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, we used to say, you know, it's edible, but don't eat it. I mean, it's not very tasty. I'm sure it tastes like bergamot, peppermint and sage, probably. But
0: yeah, but like, but like you mentioned that you took your product off the shelf. So mm-hmm. what, what prompted that decision? And like, were you nervous doing that?
1: we were we had cuz we had a really it was our livelihood we had a very successful company we were in a tin we were a product that was great but not unlike other deodorants out there and we didn't have a social purpose we didn't have a purpose or a mission i kind of woke up every morning thinking there's got to be something more than just selling deodorant business as usual so we actually met a few people decided like i'm not doing this like this anymore we pulled it from all store shelves it was it was a challenging decision one of the most challenging decisions of our family's life and in order to we did it in order to rebrand and reformulate repackage and attach this now what I call like this, this life saving mission attached to it, which is so beautiful, because every jar sold in our company, we provide a year of clean drinking water to someone who desperately needs it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my goal is millions and millions of people saved through this product. Mm -hmm.
0: And like, were there some strong financial consequences? Because like, I'm just trying to think of what it would be like to have a business and then just like, say, Okay, we're we're hitting pause. And this is Mm -hmm. our livelihood. So like, how did you do that?
1: Well, we did that. We're very, yeah, that's a great question. There were some financial consequences. We definitely, we haven't had money coming in from this company in quite some time. It's still off product shelves. We have a campaign going that we're actually, we just decided today to extend the life of our campaign. We're extending it uh, for another few days because it's doing so well it crushed the goal and the campaign isn't really about the money like it's not even the campaign was started just to be able to give ourselves some breathing room to produce it Mm -hmm. because before we shut down we couldn't produce this product fast enough the demand Mm -hmm. from stores was greater than what we could produce and it wasn't a great place to be it sounds great but it wasn't because Mm -hmm. it was just sort of a vicious kind of production circle for us you know produce fulfill and then more and then produce wait fulfill and so now we're interviewing investors as we speak to be able to get a massive um, quantity of product made to fulfill stores moving forward.
0: That's so cool. So like, let's get into the cause. Like what is the cause? And how did you select that one particular? What made that one resonate with you?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. You you asked such great questions, Sonia. Oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and I, I know, I hope a lot of people find value in what we're doing because I really in my heart want to encourage other companies like ours to do it. And if you don't have a company, I encourage if you have a mission or you want to help the world, start a company, start any product and product that means something and then up it a little bit. You know, you just increase the price or figure out a way to be able to help someone else in this world. Because if we continue as we're doing business wise, if companies continue tramping and like, you know, hurting the world for their growth, it's not going to work out in the long run. It's not sustainable, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was my little rant about that. I want to challenge other companies and to go plastic free. Getting back to your question, how we selected what we're doing, we wanted to make a difference through food or water. Water is life without water, people can't survive. And so did you know that over 800 million people in our world don't have access to water? And the exact number right now is over 800 million. That's insane. That's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, 4,000 children, because we have children now, so that's our heartstring, right? Mm -hmm. It's like 4,000 children die every day, not just in a month, in a day. Let's
0: pause for a second, just so that can sink in. Like, 4,000 children die every Mm -hmm. day. Every day, every night you go to bed, 4,000 people have died. Like, I remember (laughs) whenever I read that statistic when I was doing research (laughs) on you, and I was like, Oh my gosh,
1: like, this is crazy. It's crazy. It's talked about, but not enough. And the only way to make a difference is if companies like ours band together so many causes, but what, what would your money make the most impact? You know, we're also helping animals. We're doing all that stuff. But these people like mothers, like me have to walk seven hours a day just to access water for that time that they spent just to keep their family alive, getting water they can't work. They can't bring money in. They're just, you know, they stay at that poverty level. And so if we can go into these communities, build them something, provide the water daily, how what freedom that's going to create, you know? And so 4,000 kids a day, we want to eliminate that. We want to save 4,000 kids a day. So there's other companies doing great work. We've partnered with a company called Water.org which is uh, incredible. It's run by Matt Damon and Gary White. They founded the company and they're not just giving water or giving money. They're going into communities and teaching them how to install, how to repair, how to do all that so they can be self-sufficient. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing, you know, the old adage, we're vegan, We maybe we shouldn't use it anymore. The, fit, the, you know, teach a person a fish um, <laughs> it's, better, it's better than fishing it, giving it to them. Maybe there's another saying, you know, that we can use. But it's true. If you teach a person how to do something, it lasts them forever. If you just give it mm-hmm. to them, it's not that long. So that's what they're doing. And that's why we love that company. And so far, it's great. And we narrowed it down to one jar equals one life because of how much we're able to give from that jar. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool.
0: So like how much money would it take every single day to save 4,000 kids? Like if people
1: surprised, not my pennies.
0: So like what if people just like want to donate money? Do they just go to water.org and just like donate money?
1: they donate money through water.org. That's amazing. If someone wants to do that, it's incredible. And, you know, even better doing it through a product like ours, they get this effective, incredible deodorant. Yeah, because it's a product that we're all usually using anyway. So switching just deodorant switching. um, There's other companies doing it through water.org that you know, other like a water bottle or something switching your deodorant will allow you to indirectly save a life. That's huge, too. So it's um, people like They can donate to anything they want, anything Mm. in the world. At the end of the day, it needs to be an effective product for them to Mm -hmm. choose it, you know. But that's a great point. Water.org, if you actually go there, you'll see the work that they're doing. And, you know, we want to give them their largest check they've ever received, you know, soon. Hopefully very, very soon. And we want to go to these countries and do the work, too. We want to film everyone doing it and just kind of be a part of what they're doing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because whenever you stay in North America, it's really easy to just... Like you become almost desensitized to all the things going on in third world countries. And you're like, yeah, "Yeah, like people are dying of like starvation water, but they're just like over there and I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And if I donate money, like I don't even know where it's actually going. So like we just sort of put those blinders up. But like for me personally, like travel has been so important because I've raced my mountain bike in third world countries all over the world, like places where people have never even seen a woman riding a bike before. Yeah, And you actually experience, I was doing a race in the Sahara Desert, like riding through some of these like tiny little villages and these people come out and they have nothing. And you just see these kids and I would be in tears, like almost every single race looking at these people, because I start thinking these people have nothing. They have no opportunity. Mm. They might be fighting for their life every single day. And here I am, like, I'm here for fun, like riding my bike, like through their village.
1: (laughs) You you feel extremely... (laughs) You feel extremely privileged, you know, after seeing that, right? It's like, wow, we have all these resources and it's so cool that you're able to see that. I think it's important to see there's, I also think it's important like to use, like not just seriously feel guilty about what we have, but to be able to use our power, use what we have and use the choices that we have, because these people don't have the choice. Mm-hmm. We have choices that we can make every single day to improve our lives, the lives of people in our country and abroad mm-hmm. as well even the little work, we're really surrounding ourselves with incredible people. I just did an interview with um, Naveen Jain, who's he's a billionaire. He's uh, uh, with a B. He's like going to space. He's like an Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. You know, he's doing multi planetary life studies like to live in It's high level. He also created a company called Viome, which is like uh, helping people improve their microbiome. Long story short, this man's like, wow, you know, if we band together, I think of if all the billionaires of the world band together and actually did something, not give their own money, but created something together, entrepreneur wise, whatever that word is as entrepreneurs, and just, you know, allowed the world to, uh, to improve that way. That's huge, right? Mm-hmm. When we use our money that way, uh, like Richard Branson's doing stuff and, uh, all these great people are now, you know, doing things. So it's so cool. People are going plastic free. Arnold Schwarzenegger just went plastic free. Plastic is Plastic, the reason why we're so happy, because we are actually eliminating it from the source. So support companies that aren't even producing the plastic to clean up. Lots of beach initiatives, clean up. But when you you buy from a company that has a biodegradable packaging, there's nothing to clean up. And... I'm off topic a little bit, but not really, because, you know, a whale just died, I think this morning or yesterday, from consuming too many plastic bags, he's dead. And so when we think of plastic, that not only affects the earth and the beaches and all this, it affects our bodies, because this stuff goes back into us through our water, all the mm. microparticles are in us. And that's why we have hormonal issues. And, you know, men have estrogen levels. And, but it's also affecting our animal friends, too. So as a vegan, mm who loves animals, or as anyone who loves animals, the plastic issue is so related. It's killing thousands of animals every single day through our, like, just our paper, like we can change, you know, we don't have to use plastic bags, mm-hmm. or straws or plastic cups. So it's all connected. There's so many issues. I really feel all the issues are actually one. Mm-hmm. So
0: where can people learn more about plastic? Because for myself, like some of this is actually news to me. Like, I I don't know. I, I mean, My thought was like, oh, the reason why the grocery store is trying to get away from plastic is they think that creating paper or cloth is a less of a carbon footprint, which is actually not the case. (laughs) But knowing that about plastic and its effect on like the animals is definitely an eye opener for me. So like, where can I learn more and our audience learn more about the effects of plastic on the environment and in our daily lives (laughs) and how to use less plastic?
1: Well, we have some incredible writers right on our blog as well. It's called The Daily Best, The Best Daily. And it's just on our site. But but if you Google zero plastic, plastic plastic-free initiatives, there's endless information on the internet about this. And not to overwhelm someone, we can start small. You don't have people... overwhelmed by the amount of changes they have to make in their life whereas Mm -hmm. it's not even that difficult like our family now is to the point where we carry cutlery with us to if we're eating out because you know the plastic cutlery we bring home is just killing our earth and so it sounds extreme but it's really not imagine going into the mall ordering your food saying please hold the cutlery and say and taking out your no it's just very discreet we just take it out eat with it wipe it off put it back in the bag and wash it at home how difficult right truly and our children have learned to live without plastic straws because if you google right now sonia plastic straws and the effects of the earth so sad there's a turtle every single day suffocating from a straw it's really a major issue that uh, but i'm glad like moby arnold schwarzenegger amazing people with pl- i mentioned celebrities because they have the platform they have the reach. They have influence <laughs> they have influence and so they're now going they've pledged to go plastic free Uh And look at all the celebrities going vegan that are making Mm -hmm. a difference. PETA made a huge, you know, people don't like PETA sometimes, but it's major, making major differences in this world. And environmentally speaking, I don't believe you can actually be an environmentalist or care about the earth and still eat meat, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a really bold uh, statement. But this is the truth. It's science, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's just education as well, because like a lot of times people just don't even realize because it's covered up in so many ways. But once you start looking, you just can't stop looking and you can't help but make these changes. And you, you deep down, like, you know what you're doing is wrong. Like, when we're doing something wrong, we know inherently that it's wrong and we feel that it's wrong. Yeah. And, like, I'm no angel. Like, I've done things that I know are wrong. And as I'm doing them, it's hard to stop yourself, though. Like, so... Like, how could people stop themselves whenever they know in their gut what they're doing is wrong? And it doesn't even have to be about vegan or plants or whatever. It's just like, whenever you're doing something in your gut that doesn't quite feel right, but you keep doing it anyway because you're addicted or you want that short-term gain, like, how can you get past that? How can you have the self-awareness to get past
1: that? I think it's a support system. I think it's watching videos. I think, like, people you know, I think it's constant reminders for yourself. If you watch those videos of animal me, it's animal suffering. For me, it's when I see that, right? The mother being pulled from the cow, the baby mm-hmm. being with their mom, the milk, the veal industry. So it's really when you see, look in their eyes, I just keep watching that too. Mm-hmm. And grow your support system of like-minded people. Cause we all know that if you're alone doing it, it's going to be a tough ride, right? Mm-hmm. So the partner, my choice and partner, like right now we're both growing together. He's vegan too. And that helps. Although it can work the other way. I just, I would find it difficult and yeah, just keep reading and educating and learning. And you know what, if you slip or if you go, if you have something that has dairy in it, or the one thing that I don't want to ever do is beat myself up over anything. Cause the guilt is like the lowest form of feeling. It's the lowest vibration you could ever have. Mm-hmm. And guilt is not healthy for your health. It's worse for your health than eating the darn thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do it, do it and move on. You yeah. Know, do better next time.
0: Yeah. Guilt and shame also reduce willpower. Like there's a book I read about willpower.
1: Yeah. And
0: and it's, it's also been interesting because there's been a lot of people who have made changes. They've either gone completely plant-based or have just, just added in more plant-based foods into their, their diet. Like people who listen to this podcast and through my Facebook group, the plant powered tribe. And like, sometimes people will say, Oh, like I was eating plant-based for a couple months. And then like, I went on this trip and I wanted to try whatever. And I did. And then they just like, feel so bad about it. And they feel like they're like coming to me, like telling me like their sins. And I'm just like, I'm happy for you. Like, I'm happy that you went out and you tried the local food or whatever. Like, it's not about yeah. being perfect. It's just about making progress and trying to be your best self every single day. And it's okay mm-hmm. if it's not perfect. And it's, it's not going to be.
1: Right. Totally. I love that. So thanks for mentioning that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about the hustle because
1: yeah.
0: our society loves hustle like people are championed for working super hard and just like just being one dimensional in some ways. Like people brag about, and I've done this myself, like brag about how many hours you're working or how many businesses or projects you're taking on. Yeah. When really that's actually not super helpful for, yeah. for overall well being in mental health. So like how do you balance like the hustle of your life? Because you're an entrepreneur, you're a mom, like you have family, like you like I'm sure like you like doing other activities how do you balance and manage your time? I guess balance isn't the right word. It's how do you manage your time? How do you choose what to spend your time on?
1: So that's a great question. Cause it's a especially I want to say for mothers, like I was featured in Forbes recently about this very topic and the advice. And I just had such a hard time with it because I felt guilt every time I left the house, my babies, I have a one year, one and a half year old. I have a four year old and I have a six year old. And I really feel for other mothers in my situation, my position, CEO of a company. I have to put my lady boss pants on when I'm at work. (laughs) I have to leave my, my babies are clutching me sometimes saying, don't leave mommy. Like, just Mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't leave. We need you today. And I just have these appointments and, and you know what? I've actually canceled appointments to stay home with my babies. I've done it and I left it alone. And I just said, you know what? Screw that. But then I, I actually remember like, there's a lot of times when I'm, I have to remind myself why I'm doing it. It's for the children. It's really, you know, talk about the hustle. I want to talk about that for a minute because we all follow like Gary Vaynerchuk or, you know, people who are always like hustle, hustle, you know, hustle until it's done. And I actually truly don't believe that because, You know, killing yourself, making yours because killing yourself mentally, physically, eating poorly, all of that isn't going to help anyone. You know, including the most important thing is our health. Why are we trying to make the money? Why are we trying to help the greater good? Is to be able to enjoy it afterwards. So, Josh and I made a decision a couple years ago that we're not going to hustle and kill ourselves to do it. We're going to work efficiently, try to get the right people in place. Luckily now, like we have a president in the company who's relieved our work who relieved me personally and Josh of everything. He's wonderful rivers and we're hiring smart looking at if a, if you're a company owner, you look at where like I was doing things that I wasn't very good at. If I'm not good at marketing, if I'm not good at the tech stuff online, I can't stand that stuff online. Like I don't know how to do Google analytics and ads and all this. I want someone else to do it all for me. I want a skilled person who's so sharp and incredible And hiring them, spending a little bit in that area will bring tenfold back. Like it'll bring so much more money. So I learned that my weaknesses, well, don't define me, but also I need to uh, hire within my weaknesses and work only within my strengths. So that's been a big help and saved a lot of time because I could, you know, (laughs) spend, it would take me three years, Sonia, to do what this guy in our company, tech wise, is doing in a day. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Cause I, I'd have to learn everything. So anyway, that's a good thing for, uh, for anyone to discover.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's great advice. And, and even if you don't own a business, like having, paying someone to clean your house or like getting help with meal prep or like whatever. And I I think that sometimes there's some guilt associated with that. Like, Oh, I have somebody clean my house like once a week and like people feel guilty. Like they're, um, I don't know, but I, I don't think that that's a bad thing.
1: No, it's not. Number one, um, I have someone with help with, you know, we have help with the kids and the house and all that. Like think of how valuable your time is spent. Is it more valuable cleaning your house or is it more priority? It's more priority for, I would choose hanging out with my kids at the park than cleaning my house. For instance, mm-hmm. the house will always be there and all of that. Plus I'm not very good at it. Like it's not, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't focus, you know, I'm always all over the place thinking, Oh my God, like I just not very good at it. So the guilt around that. Yeah, you're right. It's it's hard, especially for I find, you know, I want to say for women, for female entrepreneurs and for mothers, we think we need to be the one that's always there doing the housework and the cleaning and the whatever really it's in us. And that's we got to let go of that stuff, you know, so it's okay.
0: I feel like I'm going to have to just replay parts of this podcast <laughs> and listen, because I feel like you're talking directly to me for some of these things, especially with delegation, because I'm trying to grow my business. Like I have a bunch of different projects and one of them yeah. is like a sock and soon to be apparel company. And there's like people I look up to and I just want to give one of my friends a shout out while we're on the the topic of helping other people socially. So I, my friend's company is Handlebar Mustache and they make socks like, I oh, look nice. up, I look up to them as like, I want to be like them in my business and they donate socks to the homeless for every certain number. Of, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's like for every one or two pairs of socks sold, they donate a pair of socks to the homeless and yeah. like you guys. And it's just like really inspiring to follow people that are doing things in their lives that, that are the extra step to helping the world. And like, you don't have to yeah. be a business owner to do that, but like, what can you do in your, in your neighborhood, in your community to make it better. Yeah. And it really yeah. doesn't take a whole lot. And I think that it's really helpful to just keep an eye on those things because it reminds us that it's not just about us. And that yeah. there's things that we can do that require very little extra energy that make a huge impact and also a big ripple effect.
1: It's so true. I mean, you can't take money with you wherever we're going in the end, but you can take that impact you're making, the lives saved, the uh, legacy that you're leaving behind. That's what's amazing. I I love what you're doing too. So it's amazing. Thanks.
0: And I, I have a few more questions just about entrepreneurship in general. So I'm guessing that this isn't your first company.
1: It's not our first company and no to answer your question. <laughs> so we've been, you know, we've, been, we've had a long journey. We've done the real estate thing. I was actually a teacher at one point, like I taught at uh, junior high level and high school before I had children. And that's why I'm unschooling today. So I did that. And then I had businesses, I had a, a real estate company, which was my biggest one. And then this kind of just fell into our lap as a something in need, we had no idea how much demand there would be for natural deodorant. Mm hmm.
0: Awesome. And the unschooling process, like the idea of homeschooling, people freak out about that because they say, well, socially, like your kid's not getting to be around other kids and and yada, yada, yada. So like what has been your experience? Number one, just like personally from a fulfillment and family standpoint of unschooling. And then number two, how have you guys dealt with the external chatter around unschooling?
1: Both great questions, and we've just dealt with it day by day. Basically, um, when you understand what unschooling is, people, they are just floored by how cool it is. Because really, our children are born natural learners. And what happens is when we actually put them into school, it's beaten out of them in a way because they're basically... Told what to learn, when to learn, how to learn it by someone else, you know, whether it's a teacher, which I was a teacher, so I'm very, you know, I love my, it's not even the teacher's fault, it's the whole system at large and how it's structured by the government and all of that. When I say our kids, it's like they're born natural learners. They learn how to walk, they learn how to talk, they learn how to eat, they learn how to do everything without instruction. Mm -hmm. So, following through with that and continuing throughout life, that's what we're doing. So putting the right resources in front of them, putting if they're interested in dinosaurs, take them to a dinosaur exhibit or have books for them available to learn more. The Internet's available um, if they're interested in math, whatever it is. So we're basically fostering their interests. Mm -hmm. What a novel idea, you know. So in school, (laughs) what happens is we're, we're taught like we teach by the curriculum and even if I'm not interested in math, I have to learn it. Or even if I'm not into social science, I have to learn it. And this is where kids suffer, and they' some of them, you know, some of them are sitting there really bored because everything's over their head and some of them are sitting there and they're left behind because they don't understand anything and they become a failure because it's a self fulfilling prophecy they're given the f or the d and that's what they become in the world which Mm -hmm. is not fair because every child has a skill you can't really teach a fish to climb a tree you know that's a monkey's job and everyone has a skill right the fish Mm -hmm. needs to be in the water so I guess the long and short of it is we are teaching our children to follow their own desires and passions. And that's, that's what unschooling is.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, all of us can think about a time when we were in school or multiple subjects where like you just shut it out because you don't like it or you just go through the motions just to get it over with and get it done. And then you never really access your true passion. (laughs) And my entire like background, I forced myself, I forced myself as like a, a square, a square peg into a round hole. Like I got my master's degree in electrical engineering and I didn't like engineering, but I was like, this is what I need to do. And like, I liked other, th- I liked math and biology, but I didn't like physics. And I just forced myself through this program, like for through many years of it. And, and I'm not doing it anymore. And like, there's been benefits to that, but I, I can definitely yeah, see, yeah. I can definitely see like the benefit of letting a passion and an interest steer you in a direction. Because I think that Like, there's important things you learn in school, but, like, broader, on a much broader scale in your life, feeling empowered and confident to take action into the subjects that matter to you Mm -hmm. allow you to live a more meaningful life instead of just doing something because it's going to make money or somebody else said you should.
1: Totally. And, yes, you do learn stuff in school. But you know what, Sonia? It's incredible. My what kids can learn in two hours a day. It would take them months and months at school to learn because they're they actually, you know, and learning shouldn't happen at a set time or a set place, right? So everything you just said and it's great you got degrees and all that, but for the children sitting in those subjects that they're not enjoying, what a royal waste of time that they could Mm -hmm. be spent perfecting something they love. Mm -hmm. It's cool when you look up, when you Google children who've been through unschooling, you know, Mm -hmm. as adults, it's incredible. You hear their speeches and you hear how successful and happy they are. The the key is happiness, right? Mm -hmm. So really proud of you and people like you who've just gone out and done their own thing too. It's awesome.
0: And yeah, my last question is just in general, like how do you deal with, and and you you probably already answered this, but like the negative chatter around living Mm -hmm. an alternative lifestyle that goes against the status quo. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of us are doing that. So like, What are the tools besides having a social network around you and and support system like internally, like how do you deal with the negative chatter around things that other people don't agree with?
1: building confidence through reading about other stories like the social the social the people around us who go through it it's just basically to remind ourselves that you know what this is right for us and never ever like we're never ever it's nothing is finite we're never ever set in anything so if we find if we're reading on something we're like wow this is a really cool thing and it we just try it out as well it's not saying like you know With anything. So we're really, really open to learning more, open to other ways of education. It's not even about school. It's about education, about learning. And so the chatter around us, there's a lot of it here in New Brunswick. I I remember being in BC. It's a little bit different, but people out there are like you. We just have to find them. They're like us. And that is key is locating those families. Could be a little bit isolating for some families, but we make sure to get the kids out to gymnastics activities, working our life around that. And it is challenging for parents because you need to work. When two parents work, it's a hard life to do. But um, just finding other people who can be with the kids, who have the same philosophy, and it may not be for everyone at the right moment, and we're very fluid about it. We actually put our children in a nature school at one point because we had to both work, you know. Mm-hmm. We put our kids in this gorgeous, like, it's a school that, you know, fosters it's child-led, it fosters what they want. And it was ideal for a few months, and then we we took them back, and everything is fine. So, yeah. Our children are learning and they're on schedule, which is isn't even something we follow.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing like so many important and inspiring pieces of information with us. Thank you so much. And like where, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you if they want to get some of your deodorant and just or just like follow like your journey?
1: Basically our site is the bestdeodorant.org the And we have a campaign going on now, but the site will resume and Facebook is incredible. You can find our Facebook links. And I will also send you an article that I wrote on unschooling and why we're doing it. It's three reasons our family decided to do it. I'll send cool. you that article for your audience to read.
0: Yeah. I'll link all, all those up in the show notes.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on Sonia. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: There was a lot going on in that episode. I hope you guys learned something. I hope you feel inspired. I loved getting to know Margot, and I learned a lot about plastic, actually. That is one of my biggest takeaways and also about the charity water.org. And I think that I'm going to start donating to that charity as well, because that's so crazy that we can make such a huge difference with so little. Thanks again for being here. I love you guys. And thanks again for those who are supporting my show financially on Patreon. Even four bucks a month makes a huge difference. So thank you so much to those of you who are doing that. Thanks again to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Rats, and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.